0: Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we are talking about the struggle with the modern church. If you've walked in and you feel like it's plastic, it's cold, you feel disconnected, you look around and you feel like an alien. We want to talk about that and why we have those struggles. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a
1: purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org/give.
0: Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ, conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and, I would dare say, pastoral perspective. Today, your hosts are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and I am John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Justin, my friend, it is good to be with you this morning. We have a lot, including a really good book to give away today. We do have a good book to give away
1: today. We like to be generous here at Theocast. I mean, Christ has given us his own righteousness, and so the least we can do is give people books. Amen. (laughs) Um, That includes
0: how to know what Christ's righteousness is.
1: Totally. And liberating books about the Christian life and the church and what those things might look like. Yeah. So today we're excited to give away a book entitled Ordinary Mm -hmm. by our brother and, uh, dare I say, even a friend of Theocast, Michael
0: Horton. Yeah, we need to have him on again.
1: We do. And the subtitle of Dr. Horton's book, Ordinary, is Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World. It's a good book and a lot <laughs> of good stuff book. contained therein. So again, we're pumped to give it away today. And as is always the case, we use our handy-dandy software app called The Wheel of Names. What a what a name that is, The Wheel of Names. Every time I say it, I'm just like, <laughs> is this really what it's called? and yeah. we input all of our members names in there and Which out pops the is winner a
0: lot it takes a lot to spin that wheel
1: and, and we trust the lord rules and reigns even over something called the wheel of names <laughs> and this week the winner is kevin almeida i've probably just butchered your name it might be kevin almeida um, hmm. don't know could be either of those kevin i trust you're going to know who you are and What I mean to say, and you're going to give me. We're going to send you an email. Pronounce your name correctly. Yeah, we'll send you an email and give some instructions on how to claim this free book giveaway. And then we will also be giving away another copy of Ordinary via social media. So today is Wednesday, as this podcast is releasing. If you go to any of our social media platforms, that would be Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you will see instructions about how to enter yourself into the the fray for this additional giveaway book. And it includes, I think, like sharing the posts and tagging people and all of that stuff. The instructions are there for those of you who are social media types. Avail yourselves of that. And you might also win a copy of Ordinary by Michael Horton. And we will announce that winner tomorrow, which will be Thursday.
0: If you want to just buy that book because it's the first time you're hearing about it and it is going to be related to our topic today, there'll be a link in our podcast description on our website and in your podcast. And if you use that link then Theocast will receive uh, a portion of that purchase. It goes to our ministry. So Word. it's a way to support us and support Michael Horton, which we would totally recommend you to do. Yeah. He <laughs> writes a lot of good stuff. That's right. Well, Justin, today is a, a conversation that you and I seem to have almost every week. We are trying to shepherd people that are coming into our context in our church and help them I would say find out what does it look like to find not only rest in Christ, but truly rest within the community of Christ, which is the design of God. Says Jesus died for the church, and Paul dedicated his life for the church. And I think the entire New Testament is focused and centered on what does the local New Testament church look like in a fallen, sinful world? How does the gospel go forward in our context and in the world? So what happens though is the same thing that's happened to Justin and I. Justin and I grew up in a different, both very different backgrounds. I'm sure he'll reference it, but his was more of a liberal um, Baptist background. Mine was more of a fundamentalist back background. And as we have grown in our theology and in as pastors, we have been able to look at history and we are making assessments about the Christian life and church that Are way off, and they they have. You you talk about, um, you know, you you move one percent off of a line, and you start walking that line for many years, and before you know it, you're miles off the mark. And we are definitely miles off the mark. And what I wanted to do today, and what Justin wanted to do, is help you think through your feelings, your observations, your conclusions, and I would even say comparisons to Scripture and the local context of the church. And I know there's a broad range of churches that are out there, but I will say what we're talking about today has impacted almost every single denomination that's out there. And why we one wanted to recommend this book, but two, more importantly, have a conversation about what happened to the church. And why I would say most people struggle with the church, and I'm going to make this observation up front, Justin, why most church, why most books about the Christian life or have nothing to say about the church or what they do have to say about the church is very foreign to something like Ephesians 4. So that's what we're going to talk about today is the struggle with the modern church, what we see, and hopefully put some words to your own thoughts about your feelings about the local church. So Justin, I kind of just wanted to open it up there and say, let's talk about, when we look at the modern church I mean, don't hold back, my friend. What is wrong with this context? And how is it that it, we have got to this place? So let's start with what's wrong. Like when you walk into a modern, broader evangelical church, almost a evident denomination, describe it to me.
1: Gosh, so many <laughs> thoughts running around in my head right now. Even just want to affirm everything you said and maybe state from the outset that, one of the things that I aim to do as a pastor, second only to helping people understand their need for Christ, is to help people understand their need for the church. Mm. And in one sense, to help people understand how those two things go together, how we need Christ and we need each other. And yeah, it's just not a common notion in our current church context. And there are a million reasons why books written today about the church and the, well, about the Christian life don't have the church in them. A lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons for that is this conversation we're having today because so many people have had terrible experiences in the church. They are disenchanted with the church. They feel jaded and burned by the church and have never seen anything legitimate or anything that seems to have any merit Um, in in their entire life, in their experience of going to church. And so we want to, yeah, unpack some of that today and and have an honest conversation about some of our own experiences and and hopefully, as you said, put words to the thoughts that many have had. So we'll just maybe ping pong this back and forth a little bit. I, I Like you said, I grew up in a more liberal environment theologically, but the culture of the church that I grew up in was still moralistic. And so yeah. it was this combination of Um, an aversion to doctrine uh, because all that does is divide and it binds us and it's bad. But then the emphasis was always just on you being a good person Hmm. and doing the right stuff and not doing the bad stuff. And it was a very, very confused and difficult situation. Right? So I grew up thinking that Jesus was legit and knowing that, that he was, the real deal. And there was something about him that I couldn't walk away from, That's right. but everything else about the Christian life that I had been presented with and everything that I had ever seen in the church, I was like, man, this is whack. And I was incredibly disenchanted with the church as an institution uh, and even Christianity as a religion in light of everything that I had seen. So, yeah. I mean, I'll just outline a little bit of what I saw. And yeah. like I said, man, we'll go back and forth here. I think for sure, um, one of the things that stands out for many people is the fact that the church feels and seems to be very superficial, that there is no like real admission of real grievous, heinous, damnable sins. Like all people or are. Or half struggles. Right. And, and we may get there in a minute. Like there's no place for the weak right? But Mm -hmm. people seem to be very hesitant to admit the very dark things that go on in everybody's mind and heart, right? like We know they're there, but you don't ever talk about them. You're happy to admit that you struggle with pride uh, or whatever, or maybe that you worry a lot, but you're not really happy to talk about things that are much maybe darker and more sinister um, that are going on inside of you. And there seems to be alongside this, John, a lack of an awareness of sin at the same time. Yeah. And so people seem to think that they're doing a lot better than they are. And so there's all this talk about all the things that we need to be doing and the things that we shouldn't be doing. And it's just almost full-blown works righteousness sometimes in terms of the way that it's presented. And you look around and everybody seems happy to listen to that kind of talk. And your conclusion is, well, I guess everybody else is crushing it because right. nobody seems disturbed by the fact that we're just being told things that we need to do and things that we need to refrain from doing as though that's going to earn us righteousness before the Lord. And I guess all these people are doing well, but I know I'm not. And so then you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I must be the only like unrighteous hypocrite of this whole bunch. And right. clearly this place isn't for me uh, because apparently these people have it all together. You know, they, they look put together, they're talking, they're saying the right stuff. They, they, Seem to understand themselves to just be doing well. And every time they pull the lever, it's trip sevens. And, you know, I'm just like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm over here floundering and struggling with my own conscience and I've blown it countless times this week. And if this is Christianity, then either Christianity is a sham or it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And so then our conclusion is I, I'm going to go elsewhere yep. because the church has nothing for a sinner like me
0: yeah it can also become personality driven so those who have an outgoing energetic bubbly personality seem to be the ones that are always the the active good christians and those who seem to be quiet introspective or even melancholy can be the ones who aren't the good christians and it, it they become become it's a divide and i will tell you um this is true of of not just one denomination. We're not even going to pick on a denomination because we're going to explain how this really has influenced a lot. Um, of, of It's just changed the way the structure and the purpose of the church is supposed to be. But you do, you walk into a context of a church and the conversations are not on a familiar level, like the way you would talk to your brother or sister or your wife. Uh, they are on a very superficial level how was your day how was your week you know when there is a small group the community groups tend to be really just social groups where you talk about social stuff you're not talking about the real the muck of the of the christian life and you know the, the prayer requests are like well i just feel like i need to pray more or you know i've been struggling with this or my pride or that or you know i need a new job and and what's really crushing you and what's going on in the depression that that is not allowed and i've uh, had a man man in my church recently who talked about expressing some serious issues in his life in a men's group and they all looked at him like he was crazy Mm -hmm. or they'll just say well, man, you know, you need to read your Bible more and you need to pray. And that's it. That's the solution. And so people don't share because if the, if the if the response to everything is read your Bible and pray more, then why should I even tell you I'm struggling? I already know the answer you're going to give me. So I'm just not going to say anything. And that way I won't be judged and I won't feel guilty about my own struggles.
1: Right. Yeah. What you're describing is a lack of legitimate community. There's right. a lot of, you know, language about community and you might even have groups that bear that name. But to your point, there's no real admission of weakness. There's no real confession of sin where we are legitimately bearing our souls and talking about what's really going on. We all just kind of speak in this very calculated language because, like you said. We have either experienced this in the past or we've seen it happen to other people where they do confess legitimate sin and legitimate struggle, and they are shamed, judged, or run out of town on a rail. And mm-hmm. we leave that thinking, well, I'm never going to do that again. Or, <laughs> man, I saw what happened to that person. I'm never going to do that That's because right. it just did not go well. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I, I think that many of us have been in church contexts where we look around and we listen to what's being said and just the way the whole thing is presented to us it's like this whole this whole project is about constant improvement Mm -hmm. this whole project is about onward and upward and we are always getting better everything is always exciting every sunday is literally better than the one before and we we look at that and we're like uh that's not how my life works yeah we we feel like man this is This feels like a lot of hot air and a lot of hype, you know, and a lot of sunshine is being pumped, you know, at me, but this just doesn't feel legitimate. It doesn't feel authentic. And the way that we can end up coming away from that too, aside from it just feeling fake is because the presentation is one of, we're always getting better. We're always improving um, this triumph, you know, in like we are, we are conquerors and we are triumphant. Uh, We get, we are the people who are having victory over sin and struggle and weakness and the like is we conclude that there is no place for the weak in the Mm -hmm. church there's no place for the struggler in the church there's no place as i said a minute ago for like the miserable sinner and so i think for many people especially the ones who have more tender consciences uh, for people who have proclivities and bends in their frame where they struggle with you know, melancholy, depression, anxiety, et cetera, uh, people like that just end up feeling like there is no place for them mm-hmm. because they they cannot keep up. And the tender conscience in the room looks around and, and assesses what's going on and then looks within and assesses his or her own heart and mind and thinks, well, you know, I have, I have never done anything that's legitimate or adequate. Um, I've never loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've never loved my neighbor as myself. I've, you know, I've not done this as I should. I've failed to do that as I should. And so all of this improvement stuff, and this constantly getting better stuff, and this constantly getting victory—it's like, well, I'm a failure. It's right. And I just don't fit here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then I mean, bro, I'll just, another thought, real quick, is you know talking about a lack of authenticity and a lack mm-hmm. of an ability to confess sin. Um, I mean, I do think there are a lot of environments where people, not only have they been burned when they've confessed sin, they just received horrible counsel mm. when they have confessed things in their lives. Um, and I'm not even talking about like reductionistic, somewhat absurd stuff. It's like, well, you know, read the Bible and I'm sure it'll be better next week right. um, or whatever. I'm talking about like just legitimately like false stuff. Um mm where they've brought some, some issue, you know, some deep issue of, um, you know, a struggle with sexuality or, um, their, I don't know. I mean, a marriage is falling apart and the husband and wife go and seek counsel and they're just told ridiculous things by pastors. Um, you know, well, this is what's going to fix your marriage. And, you know, they leave or maybe in particular one person in the marriage leaves thinking, well, that's the last time I'm ever going to trust a pastor. After mm-hmm. what I just heard, that's right, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah there is there the trust for the church definitely is not there. Uh, we understand that the Bible emphasizes the church; the church is good, but what we experience in the church is not what we feel is right. Like, there is feeling is a dangerous word to say, but you it's within your soul you feel this dry, this cold. Mm distance yeah. and yet you're yearning for this warm compassionate connection to christ and his body when i was uh when i was first married i started to sell this insurance um and we would go to these conferences and so <laughs> we're at this conference in in texas and you know these people are making all this money and they're really talking to us about how do we can make money and you know, I'm trying to just get through college and I'm just trying to sell this insurance on the side so I can make money. And man, they are hyping it up and it's like bumping music and we're jumping and we're clapping. And you know, it's everything is high, high, high energy and a ton of emotion. And so you go walking out of there at the end of that conference and there's one conclusion that is on your mind. Like everyone around me is successful. Everyone around me is doing it. And if I want to do it, it's up to me. And I yeah. walk out of there going, all right, if I try harder and I be better and I work longer, I can be like that. Mm. And that is what church feels like. It's, it is. it's high energy. It, it's pumping. And the pastor basically tells you all of these amazing stories. And at the end, you go, all right, if I try harder this yep. week, I can be like that.
1: Yeah. Like it It ultimately, at the end of the day, depends upon me. Mm-hmm. And that can be presented in a number of ways. It can be in this quasi prosperity way, but it also can be in this um, way where we're we're told that we need to be more disciplined and our lives will go better and we won't sin as much and all those things. And it's kind of like a, a smack on the backside and go out there and don't disappoint God, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we leave ultimately discouraged because again we think, well, this clearly depends upon me at least in some measure, and my life isn't going that well, and I'm still struggling. So I must be messing this up and God is displeased with me. Mm. And so, yeah, we leave exhausted and not encouraged. A couple of other observations just really quickly from me. These are not related at all. So <laughs> I'm going to do the best that I can here. Another thing that I think is hard for people is that whenever they have raised concerns in the church, those concerns have been met with pride, defensiveness, and condescension rather than humility, patience, grace, and charity. Mm-hmm. And that's sad, right? Because- I know you and I, John, have had this conversation offline many times about how we we will fail in this because we're sinners too. But one of our chief aims as pastors in our respective churches is to meet the concerns of our people and even critiques that are raised. Um, or when somebody comes to us and they're just really they've been hurt by us or whatever it is, to aim to meet that with humility and charity and grace and patience rather than being proud and defensive and and I think pride is only fueled like that that flame of pride is only fanned and there's gas poured on that fire by a lot of the kind of pietistic you know culture that exists in the church that tells you you know you will be doing better if you are disciplined and if you apply yourself in these particular ways and people think that their discipline and their devotion and their dedication is what has gotten them to where they are And they, I do think, don't want to impugn people's motivations, but I think end up looking down upon others who are not doing as well as they are Mm -hmm. and are just unable to kind of hear uh, from people um, that that may raise legitimate concerns before them. The last thing I want to say, Holmes, before we move forward in terms of struggles with the church is this. um, When we go to services, it seems that the entire thing, or at least most of it, is aimed at the non believer to try to bring the non believer in. And what that means is that the gospel in particular, the way of salvation, you know, Christ for you, that is almost exclusively preached to the non Christian. Yeah. And in order to get them to make that decision to trust in Christ. But then when it comes to the Christian life and the day to day and the week to week, once I am in, really all I'm getting is a bunch of instruction on how to live better, how to improve, five steps to this. Here are things that you need to flee from. Here are ways to be disciplined. And I end up being exhausted by that because I'm not actually given Jesus in the service. I am maybe at best in a situation where Jesus is assumed. Like, yeah, we all believe the gospel, but we're going to talk about how you should live today and so our experience of church is not one of rest. It's not one of being reminded that Christ is our righteousness. It's not one of being comforted in the Lord Jesus Christ and thereby being motivated to live out of love and joy and gratitude. It's really, I mean, a, a culture that's driven by guilt and shame and fear and dread and judgment uh, for the mm. believer. Um, and Christ is really only held out to somebody who has not yet believed. And then it's almost like nobody would ever say it this way. I mean, Stephen Furtick did recently, but I mean, a lot of people go to churches where it's kind of like, yeah, if you're a Christian, this church isn't for you. Hmm. If you're, a, this church is for the non believer, man. Like if you're, if you're in, we got nothing for you here. And it's like, in some ways, we might almost do people a service if we were just as honest as Stephen Furtick is in saying that this church elevation doesn't exist for the Christian. You know, this church just exists to bring people in uh, because in many churches, that's how they function anyway. And the Christians are sitting there starving and are sitting there discouraged and dry because they're not being given Jesus, who is their life. And apart from him, they can do nothing. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith Versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed
0: confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Well, the question then becomes, how did we get here? Uh, We're going to talk about what we think the biblical church looks like as part of what this podcast is about, thinking things from a Reformed perspective. And uh, we, we will get there eventually, but we want to talk about how we got here. Sometimes it's helpful to understand and deconstruct and pull back the structure of a church or the structure of anything and ask, why was it built this way? And I would say the modern church is a patchwork of multi-theology of multi that is not centered on a biblical theology. And so I think we're going to start with revivalism. We're definitely going to talk about the emergent church and even the influence, the massive influence of the purpose-driven church by Rick Warren. So something we reference a lot, but I think it's important for you to understand. Justin, let's talk about revivalism a little bit. Totally. You have... Um, you have it's a response to cold, uh, cold orthodoxy you think that uh, the church has lost its way it's only concerned you know they call it the frozen chosen and it's it's the church is dying and so you have men who want to revive what's this word, revivalism revive the church get them back excited and so it is not based upon theology it is not based upon uh, doctrine definitely not based upon the history of the church and you have men who are coming in, and they are going to preach passionate, fiery sermons to get people to repent. And you, from revivalism, you have all kinds of new things introduced into the church, which is event-based theology, meaning that Revivalism wasn't happening inside churches. It was happening inside tent meetings. These were yeah. entertainment It was happening events.
1: outside the local gathering on the Lord's Day.
0: That's right. They would go yeah. from town to town. Uh, it's kind of where Billy Graham really got his wings is this idea of these massive events coming from town to town. You have to understand, during revivalism, there was no entertainment. There was no radio. There's no TV. So when you have someone publicly coming and speaking and it's in the center of town and you can hear it, you're going to be drawn into that. And this is where you start hearing about the anxious bench and the famous sawdust Trail, if you don't know what that means.
1: Yeah, I I think concerns with revivalism are several. I mean, you've mentioned some of them. One is the the relocation of Mm -hmm. really the ministry of the word. It's removed from the corporate gathering on the Lord's Day and it's taken outside of the regular assembly. And you know, in a in a field or a tent meeting or something like that, um, is where that occurs. There is a huge emphasis on conversion, making a decision for Christ. Um, Not that that's a bad thing to desire, but there is perhaps an off-centered emphasis in any means necessary, you know, to get those. Professions of faith and to see conversion happen—that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to that, there's a huge emphasis on moral transformation because there is always a concern with lax and apathetic living and lawlessness. Right. right? That is a piece of revivalism. And so, as you look, you know, back through the history of the church, the first and second Great Awakening are both revivalistic movements. Now, the first right. one was better than the second in terms of the theology that was being preached. You know, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards are preaching better doctrine you know, in terms of even the gospel and, you know, how people are saved than many in the second great awakening were, you know, Charles Finney and others. I mean, that's where like the new methods and all kinds of things were introduced into the church. Like you mentioned, the anxious bench and the altar call and all of these kinds of things came about in the early to middle part of the 1800s uh, as a result of that movement. So it was worse than the first great awakening, for sure, theologically, but the whole project we would say, and this sounds scandalous to say the whole project of revivalism in our minds from our perspective and this is again thinking about scripture and thinking about the history of the church and the like the whole project was skewed and off yeah where what we would be contending for is no, the lord brings revival he's the one who does that and he's going to do it through the means that he has given us and he's going to do it through the ordinary means of grace that are a piece of the corporate reality of the gathered church on the Lord's day when we gather for the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments for prayer and for song. That's right. And we trust him to do his work there rather than kind of using these other more extraordinary measures you know, to bring about what we say is a work of God.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was performance-based theology. They were going after moral transformation they were preaching against all kinds of things, gambling. They were preaching against drinking. Yeah, alcoholism. Yeah. Right, and so they're trying to shut down bars. They're trying to shut down pool houses, and you know, there's there's a, there's a massive movement. You have men like Charles Finney who basically said, yeah. "I could convince pretty much an entire room to come to be converted to Christ, just give me enough time." And he was a great salesmanship. Well, oh, and, and he and was a, a lawyer.
1: He was a fiery preacher, and he. But his theology is so terrible. You know, oh, that yeah. he would say that every time a Christian sins, he or she needs to be reconverted. Oh, I mean, right. this is how you you preach, you know, fire and brimstone messages. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. I mean, if you're dealing with people who are legitimately converted, you know, yeah. if you're dealing with regenerate people who are aware of their sin, it is not hard to convince them they're sinners. No. You know, but then when you tell them that every time you sin, you are you basically are now unsaved again, and what you need to do is come forward to the front I mean, I think people hearing this, it's like, okay, well, this is where a lot of this mess of not only coming forward, you know, for the altar call to profess faith, but this whole rededication of life and all this stuff. This is where it comes, from. right?
0: Absolutely. So yeah. you you have a, a de-emphasi- de-emphasizing doctrine, creeds, and confession. These men were not trying to promote a theology based on church history that had been faithfully handed down to them. They were emphasizing which we were, you know, the heart of it behind it, I'm thankful. They're emphasizing evangelism and preaching the sure. gospel. But just because someone has good intentions doesn't mean their actions and the way that fulfilled it is correct. And I think a lot of the assessment of the men who were doing revivalistic preaching, they were assessing the local churches and wh- what happened to the kind of the dead orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, Justin and I would say, they too lost their way And this is part of being a sinner, and this is why there's so much warning in the New Testament about who should be elders and who should be teachers, and Paul's warning against those who are shepherding. Uh, But the the response had such a ripple effect. I mean, the wave of this has influenced church history hugely. hugely millions and millions of churches and, and Christians have around the world have been influenced by this revivalistic movement. So we're going to move forward a little bit. And revivalism yeah. starts to take shift and change where you're starting to see a, de-emphasi- a de-emphasizing of doctrine. Um, even theological schools are becoming, they're dying because men are not seeing the necessity of being well-trained in church history and in the languages and in doctrine and, all of a sudden, you men who are performing well and know how to articulate themselves well or are high energy. I would even say good salesmen. Yeah. You start to see the shift and where the shift I think in the nineties explodes is in the emergent church, which for a while it was really hard to like even pin down. What does the emergent church even mean?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a big tent.
0: Right. But, you know, Rob Bell is really big in this. You have Mark Driscoll coming out of it. But understanding this is um, the Merchant Church was dealing basically with the postmodernism. And what they are trying to fight against or what they are really pushing back against is uh, resonating with people in the early 90s, in, in in the 2000s, where you had cold, hard facts. And that was cold and distant from our culture. They wanted something that was more warm and, and inviting subjectivity versus objectivity, or spirituality over religion. I can remember that. I don't want a religion. I want a relationship. And it's images versus word, or outward versus inward, feeling versus truth. I mean, you can kind of go on, but this is what the Emergent Church really drew in, this younger crowd, and it changed the Atollan. They created these massive communities, these people who were excited. Churches exploded, But as Justin had said, the entire experience came more about how do we draw in a bigger crowd and how do we draw it in and be relevant to the culture? And it became all about relevancy. It did not become about faithfulness to the Word of God, uh, allowing the Word of God to convict people of sin, leading to the hope of Christ in the gospel. It became more about how do we help people have an experience of God? And the experience became the primary driver of what church looked like.
1: Yeah. One other piece of this in terms of how did we get here? I'm going to use a few words and define them. The current church context and the things that we're describing today are in part a result of triumphalism. And that, again, is a way to describe this onward and upward, always improving dynamic. The current church context is a result of pietism, which is a hyper-focus on how we are doing, on our affections for God, on our disciplines, our obedience, and our performance. So it's this very inward, very introspective posture that has certainly characterized the church. So you combine that with a triumphalistic perspective of you're always needing to get better, and then you're hyper-introspective and always assessing you and your affections and your disciplines and your obedience. That's a big piece of how we've gotten to where we are. And then in addition to that, all of this the triumphalistic stuff and the pietistic stuff is a part of a larger theology of glory mm. you know again it's it's that we're strong we're getting better we're getting victory and all of that versus what has historically been understood as a theology of the cross that says that we are in fact weak still you know yes right. christ is strong but we are not you know mm. We are weak, we are needy, and that is where the grace and mercy of Christ is made manifest and obvious as he meets us in our need and our weakness. And that right now, not only will we be weak, we will suffer, Mm. but there is a glory that awaits us. Uh, That kind of theology has just gone by the wayside in most churches today, which is what has resulted in something that we were describing earlier, where there's just no place for the struggler. There's no place for the weak. There's no place, dare we say it, even for the sinner. Certainly Mm. not the miserable sinner, as Augustine would have called us. You know, Augustine was lambasted for uh, propagating what many called a miserable sinner version of Christianity. Mm. And it's like, well, I mean, if if we're going to be lumped in with him, I guess guilty is charged Um, to say that, yeah, we are miserable sinners mm. and Christ is our only hope. But that's That's not what's been heralded to many of us, you know, in our church experience. And it's left many of us jaded and disenchanted. That's right. And feeling like the church just clearly is not for us. That's right.
0: I will, uh, To Justin's point, he just introduced you, if you're new to Theocast, to two really important subjects that we cover a lot in our description, in our podcast. There will be links to a podcast for both of those. We did one on the theology of the cross versus theology of glory and triumphalism. One other thing I do want to mention and the impact of it, um, I grew up about an hour away from this church. So the Saddleback Rick Warren he wrote a he wrote a book in the mid '90s called The Purpose Driven Church, which is based off the Purpose Driven Life. And I, I don't know if people understand the influence and impact of that book, but that church that I mean that book is listed in the top 100 books. Uh, Christian books that have changed the century. And in really, in many ways, people understand like the the church in general shifted because of what what he wrote. And if you read the book about what is the purpose of the church, this is the thing that we are battling today in more ways than I've ever seen. Justin and I, we, we just shake our heads constantly when we're thinking about all of the purpose of, like, what is the purpose of the church? And you can think about it, it's social justice or it's race or it's dealing with um, uh, gender equality. I mean, there's so much that is driven. And so when you think about what did Jesus hand us as mm. our primary focus, what drives us, our purpose, and you look at the history of what the church has been driving from revivalism to the emergent church to the purpose-driven church, you do, you're do. you not handed what we are going to argue is what the Reformed tradition has been holding to and what we think is the accurate explanation of Scripture, which is where we're going to go now, uh, of the explanation of this is what the purpose of the church is and the design of the church and what church should feel and be. this is what you should experience in a church.
1: Mm -hmm. So in short, the church is about Jesus and the people who need him and so the church obviously is centered around, built upon Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. He's the cornerstone, right? He's the stone off of which every other stone is oriented in terms of the building of the household of God. And he is the one who bears the weight, right? Like he is the one who has accomplished everything that we need. And so we begin with Christ. We emphasize what he has done for us that we receive by faith, you know, this work of Christ stands outside of us. It's extra nos, right? And we're always looking to him for our righteousness and for our forgiveness and our absolution. We are absolved of guilt because of what Jesus has done. So we herald that message. And alongside that, we say, not only do we need Christ, it's very clear in the New Testament that we need each other. That's right. And the way that Christ has instituted the church and designed the church is one, it's a design where we together, as we have all been united to Christ and then are united to each other thereby we live life together with our various gifts and we together build one another up in love unto maturity in Christ hmm. and that's going to happen it in a corporate setting not when we're by ourselves that's going to happen when we're with the saints not when we're alone and we will grow together or not at all that's very obvious that's right. hmm. in the letters of the new testament and so part of this conversation, John I'm not quite sure where you want to go first yep. but one of the things that we emphasize regularly is the gathered church because we need to understand that the New Testament epistles are all written to congregations mm-hmm. or they are written to pastors with the congregation in view Allah first second Timothy and Titus mm-hmm. right and thereby the exhortations in the New Testament I mean practically all of them are corporate in nature you yeah. know the use in the New Testament are plural. And the exhortations are to people, groups of Christians who are living life together. And we sadly often just kind of rip those from their context and assume that they're all individual exhortations, but Mm -hmm. they're not. So the church gathered is is a reality that the New Testament upholds all the time. And so the exhortations about the word of God or about the sacraments or about prayer or singing or any of that are to take place within the context of the gathered body when we're assembled. And that's what the Reformed have always historically referred to as the ordinary means of grace. Right so right. the way that we're grown in the faith primarily is by gathering with each other so and then partaking of these means of the word and the Lord's table, baptism, prayer, and the like. Mm-hmm. And God uses that over the course of a lifetime to do things that we could
0: never have imagined that he would do in our lives. Right. I want to mention yeah. several verses that I Please. think are not emphasized. You're not going to hear a lot of sermons on these. These are not... Uh, versus people memorize, But these are what I would call verses that the New Testament writers use to structure what life looks like after conversion. Like when you are adopted into the family, what does family life look like in the house of God? I can tell you what family life looks like in the house of Moffat. And we have ways in which we function and, and we gather and how we care for each other. My family, we don't live independent of each other. It's not like we pass each other in the hall and say, how's your day going? Uh, that's mm-hmm. not how we work in the Moffat house. And in Word. God's house, he's very clear in what he wants. And this is why I feel so, I'm not angry at the modern church. I'm not mad at the church. What I, what I want to say is my heart is broken because what God has given us we've seen to abandon. And so many people are drowning in their own despair and they're so lonely and they're so exhausted by sin. So listen to some of these instructions that God gives the writers of the New Testament to help us understand and well, leave, I'll leave Ephesians for the end, Justin, because I know that you and I are going to probably want to bounce off of sure. that. We're probably right. going to have to even leave Ephesians four for our, the members the podcast because we're running out of time here. So. But yeah. listen to these. Ver- like, We'll just start with even James. When James says, confess your sins to one another, that that is not something the local church. I mention this every Sunday from my pulpit. I say, listen, we want to take the word of God serious. And James says to confess our sins to one another. Why would hmm. we do that? Because what's the fastest way to create equality within a group of humans. (laughs) Have everybody admit that they have all failed. That's immediate equality. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what income you have. If you're Mm -hmm. an equal need of God's grace, and how do we know that? Because we confess our failures. But here's another thing. like We do not see dependence on the local church. Mm -hmm. We see dependence on our efforts and ourselves. But listen how the writer of Hebrews says this. For instance, he says, Um, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account to them sorry to this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you Mm -hmm. justin we don't hear this explained Mm -hmm. preach and and really put out there as a as a protection and a place of rest saying, hey, listen, yeah. rightly trained elders and selected mm-hmm. elders are there mm-hmm. for your benefit. No, we're staying
1: in the book of Hebrews because I know we're going to save Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 10, 19 and following, I'm not going to read all of it, but the, the writer says that because of Christ you know, and the access we have to God and the confidence that we have before God because of what Jesus has done, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that text, those few verses are just dripping with corporate language. Let us you know, consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope because God's faithful all those things, and then let's not neglect to meet together. Let's assemble. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Well, to you into that point earlier in, in chapter 3, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as yeah. long as it is called today, that none mm-hmm. of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin.
1: Right. No. <laughs> Amen. And there are so many other passages that we could go to. We're running a little bit short on time. The yeah. last comment that I might want to make, or that I do want to make, that was an absurd way to say it, mm-hmm. before we move over to the members portion of the podcast, is that you know, as we in the context of the church in the context of legitimate community as the gospel is preached and heralded faithfully week after week after week after week and we all understand who Christ is for us and what he did for us what that produces this is to your point about the confession of sin it produces a culture in the church where honesty is the order of the day yep. and where we are we are, we are confessing our failures and our shortcomings and it's actually safe to talk about the things that are really going on in our minds and hearts, because nobody's gonna be shocked. We have a robust enough understanding of sin that we understand that we all do things and think things and desire things that are evil. And we understand that our own performance is not where our standing before the Lord lies, so we can encourage each other in the faithfulness of God to us in Christ. And so the gospel creates this kind of authentic community where these things are taking place. And I think that's what all of us are starving for. And I know that by the Lord's grace, John, that's what you and I, along with our other elders in our churches and our people, we together are aiming to see those kinds of things happen, you know, at Grace Reformed Church and at Covenant Baptist Church. And we pray that they will and will continue to. Yeah. Well, I yeah. have
0: a lot more to say. We're running out of time. 45 minutes, we've hit it. So let's go ahead and move over to our members podcast, which will be changing very soon. Stay tuned for that. We have a whole new ministry coming out, which will allow you to take this conversation that Justin and I just had and gather with other listeners and discuss all of your questions and encourage one another locally and online so stay tuned for simple reformanda it's coming your way we're excited to launch that and a new app with it i know but just throw that out there here it comes it's throwing uh, all kinds of stuff yeah but we do need to have a further conversation on what does it look like what does the local church look like and so we're going to, continue to do that if you want to know more about that you can go to theocast.org and you can learn more about one how to support theocast but two join in on this conversation that we're having about continuing the reformation helping the church go back to its roots focusing in on christ and each other and uh, we'll see you over there. And for those of you who are listening, we'll see you next week.